Ladies and gentlemen, rebel scum and loyal to the Empire, this is Sith Talk, the show that talks all things Star Wars movies, Star Wars comics, Star Wars TV, anything and everything Star Wars, we talk it. I am your host, Zach Chrisman, aka the Lord of Lore, and joining me is the Bendu, Brandon. Brandon, how are you doing? Hey man, what's going on? Not much, just... I mean, honestly, I think it's been it's been pretty relaxing. Normally, when I'm on this podcast, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's been really busy. And I think I've just now accepted that as the current of my life and without complaint. And so when things are ultra busy, I'm just like, yeah, it's good. And right now it's been it's been really good. I just got back from Colorado. Um, weird little painting trip um, for like a distant relative, but we ended up spraying an entire house in like two days. So then we spent the other three just looking at mountains and going sightseeing. So that was awesome. That's pretty fun. Anything new? Colorado is on my list. Uh, just moving into our new apartment, getting the new, uh, studio set up and everything like that. And, uh, I've kind of gotten back. I I was in a little bit of a star Wars lull for a minute there. Um, kind of after Path of Vengeance of like, all right, what's the next thing? And uh, the next thing apparently is Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade. So I'm kind of obsessed with that book. Um, so right now I have, I have not started that book. Um, I am neck deep in a weird... I'm all right. So I am, I am in a weird Superman binge like I've never had before. Like fascinated with like, Superman in general. I started Smallville, uh, I think a couple months ago. It's ten seasons, so I looked up a master list of like all the skippable stuff, and I'll say that the show is its age works for me. I can also understand while it's to CW for some people, but the later seasons are so good. So I was so curious. I was like, all right, Krypton, this ancient city that kind of gets glossed over in comics. I want to know more about this place. And I found out that one of the guys who took over for the Dune books after Brian Herbert passed away, him and his son co-wrote um, the following Dune books. And he has a, a book called Last Day, The Last Days of Krypton, which is like a apocalyptic you know, countdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I've been reading right now. I'm almost done, so I'll be moving into that. Um, but you're liking it so far? That is, I mean, I've finished it. I sat and read it for about four straight hours one day. Wow. So, yeah. I, uh, we'll talk more about it on, on Don't Burn the Sacred Text, Lindsay and I. She's currently reading it. She's at the beach right now reading it um, as we speak. I was just talking with her a minute ago. So uh, I have a feeling we're going to have that episode out uh, a little bit quicker than, than we normally get to them. Um, and then that, and then I've actually gotten into, this is going to be ridiculous, but Young Jedi Adventures, the little uh, Star Wars High Republic show that we have right now that nobody really talks about. It's it's just fun. It's just really cute and fun. So I'm enjoying that too. So I turned it on with my niece um, um, and because she's like kind of in that age. She's probably a little bit old enough to to grasp something else a little bit. Like she gets clone wars a little bit, but I watched a couple episodes. I found it was very charming and I'm always, I'm kind of in that weird phase 
where when it comes to the High, Re- High Republic, I'm looking for any clue in anywhere, even a kids show. It's kind of <laughs> it's it's kind of a problem because I, you know, on on a future episode, I want to get into the High Republic. I want to get into a lot of like where people think the tides are turning, what phase two has really brought to the table for this next phase. Because I really am fascinated by the High Republic. Um, I think it's given me something that isn't like I originally thought, which was, oh, this is just Old Republic, you know, their version of it. It's completely different in its own complete way. Um, Not trying to compare it to Superman, but I do compare that to like, this is, the Old Republic is a little more medieval and the High Republic, while it has some serious things and some serious death, the actual um, feel of the heroes in this story are very much like Superman, like high times, golden age type feeling. And I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, it's kind of like the Renaissance meets a uh, manifest destiny, sans genocide, of course, uh, kind of existence you know because they're exploring these new avenues it's everything is still so new and i think that's one of the things that i'm actually really grateful for is when i was thinking about the high republic when we first got it and thinking about how it was going to be you know 150 200 years ago i was a little bit worried of of okay how different are they going to make things and is it going to make sense and i think they've done a really good job of having it where the the galaxy that we know in the prequels and the original trilogy is not fully united yet and this is kind of uh them in a way doing that or attempting to do that and failing um as we've had so far but yeah i know i'm i love the series uh i i think i I think I like uh, Phase Two better, uh, particularly the YA books. But I just reread the three adult novels in Phase One, and I just forgot how insanely good they are. Can you be my encyclopedia for a second? What was the final book? Uh, the final book of Phase One or Phase Two? Phase One. Sorry, Fallen Star. Okay, yeah, Fallen Star was. It still might be my favorite um, new canon book just because I, I even though I, I think I, I, I kind of agree with you phase two had some really good characters um, some really really good characters with a lot of depth I thought that <clears throat> I knew everything about the story from the first book and I realized I knew nothing at all when it comes to phase two um, so I respected that but I still love that final book uh, adult book of phase one just because Things felt real to me, and and the death of characters that we cared about was so sudden that it made the stakes feel real because there wasn't a buildup as this is coming, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is no, it just happened, and I, I there's a part of me that just really respected that from them. Yeah, they definitely took big swings with it and didn't try to, uh, you know. They did what George did of, we're going to tell the story that we want to tell, not tell a story to please people. 
And I think it's great that, you know, they got the freedom to do that because I think that was one of the bigger complaints, you know, early in the Disney era, like aside from somebody who is, you know, more or less untouchable, like Dave Filoni or something, a a lot of creators had, you know, handcuffs put on them about what they were allowed to create and how far they were allowed to push. And just the, the idea that they were allowed to just kill off these characters you know like the first the first like 10 chapters of light of the jedi is just like here we're going to introduce you to this character we're going to make you really like them and then we're going to kill them and it's kind of the same at the end of fallen star uh spoilers if you haven't haven't read it but you get to the end and you know you've already lost all of these characters you know that anybody's on the table but there's still that little bit of, uh, you know, modern cinema in you of they don't kill the big heroes. Like any of the side characters is doable. And then they kill Stellan and you're just like, what the hell? Uh, it, it's it's shocking and unsettling and it really throws you for a loop, uh, you know, as you think about phase three and where we're going to go from here. Like you, I want to think that, you know, Avar and Elzar and, and Bell and, uh, you know, Buryaga is hopefully coming back. I, I am avoiding anything they said on, on the uh, Star Wars show on YouTube. Um, so you've got all of these characters that we really care about, but you know that any of them could die at literally any moment. And I'm not the biggest fan of, you know, characters have to die. I don't necessarily think that that's true, but I think that they're using it very, very wisely in, in how they do it here. They're not killing people to kill people. Every death has consequence and, and it matters and it makes a difference in the story and the story going forward. So that, that to me is, is really stood out in, in phase one, as I reread it. I mean, Phase two is definitely the better character stories. Um, I think my my biggest issues with Rising Storm and Fallen Star originally were the fact that they are primarily just one big battle. Like Rising Storm is like 200 pages of battle and Fallen Star is about 200 pages of the you know Starlight Beacon falling apart. And it just, it felt like those two things for that many pages should be uh, in a much shorter, more t- intense event. But, I mean, that's a uh, that's my only qualm with it. But I think we're going to kind of get a mix of the two in Phase 3 is kind of my guess, is we're going to have these real character study stories, and then we're also going to have these ad- action-adventure uh, aspects of Star Wars. So, But now they've earned our trust. And, um, and, and one of the things that's important... I'm a huge comic book fan. Um, I'm probably the biggest comic book fan out of all my friends groups who are also comic book fans. Um, I love and see every comic book movie. Um, I, I like blockbusters a lot. But the thing that's getting really tired to me, even if I still end up liking the movie, is this whole um, fake death thing. Uh, or death has, in the blockbuster age, death it's not about killing off people to make it badass or op or like oh man that's brutal it's not from a brutality standpoint when i when i mean death i think that it death doesn't have to give stakes good writing can create stakes without death that's fine but because they flaunted that and ran with those deaths it creates a, a sense of realism in a genre that is flooded with 
uh, suspense of death only to be real. Like, we don't respect death anymore in these blockbuster films. We don't feel that. We don't feel the the ramifications of these things because we know our hero is always going to make it out. His love interest is always going to make it out. No matter how bad things are going to get, there's always a way to fix it. And so when I, when I mean death, I think that that's what I really respect. And that's why people really liked Game of Thrones as well. Uh, not saying everybody should take the Game of Thrones angle, but it did say, okay, these people that you care about, anything can happen to them, so hold on to them. And that creates an even juicier storyline out of respect for them. Well, yes, it's like Rise of Skywalker. My my biggest issue with Rise of Skywalker is the fake death thing. You know, you Chewie's dead, and then he's not. And C-3PO loses his memory, and then he just gets it back. And you have all of these fake deaths that happen. You know, even Palpatine. Palpatine was dead. Now he's not, and we have no real explanation. And, and that of was my why. biggest. Yeah, that was my like. Even even the fucking. And I'm not like for those of you like Rise of Skywalker. I'm so happy for you. I wish I could. Um, and I like aspects of it. But even in the script, it seems somehow Palpatine has returned. Like they didn't even yeah. know. Like just scribble like a, a joke here that, that the Emperor's around and it, it completely just toils like like you have to you have to treat your fans as if they're intelligent. You do. Right. And and you have to the consequences have to contain some form of meaning, right? And so when we get to the end of Rise of Skywalker and Ray dies, you know she's coming back to life because they've told you that. They've communicated it through their actions as storytellers again and again. We're going to kill off all of these people, but they're not actually going to die. And so death doesn't matter because our heroes are just going to come back. And I, I I love the stuff on Exegol, pretty much everything with Rey and Ben in Rise of Skywalker, uh, other than the like awkward Europe Palpatine scene that's just poorly written. Um, other than that, like I like pretty much everything they chose to do with those characters, but you lose a lot of the uh, emphasis and a lot of the oomph behind Ben sacrificing himself to give his life to Ray because of what she gave to him, because it's just like, okay, he's just bringing another, you know, character back to life. And yes, he dies, but, We've spent most of the past, what, it came out in, you know, 2018, 2019. 2019. Before the past world went four crazy. Years, yeah, right? Like, the past four years, you know, fellow, you know, Ben Solo fans like myself have just been like, well, yeah, but they're just going to bring him back. And it's like, I want him back because I like the character and I don't feel like his death mattered as much in that film because the film had spent two hours telling me that death is irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, look, I could go on a tangent for a lot of things. I think, you know, and, and at the end of the day, I'm not the one writing these stories because if I were one, it would be a garbage script. Um, but two, um, it would be completely different. Like I, I thought one of the things that kind of ruined last Jedi was the fact that he was coming back redeemed because I felt in the last Jedi, that that was his shot to change things. And that in that film, it kind of set this precedence that, um, that he's not going back. That was the opportunity with Ray and he chose not to. And I, I, I thought we were going to be getting a movie where we had somebody who had that chance and did not accept it. That's what I 
That's what I thought. So it always yeah. felt weird to me. Now I love that Ben. I love the scene with Han Solo and him up there. Um, that is touching, you know, Ben. All that stuff is it's very touching, and it, and it was moving, and I I do see a beauty to it. But I can't help with that film. Even all the things that I love, I still can't help but think about what could have been, because even though I like a lot of what they their concepts, there just wasn't enough like script to to get me there on things. I felt like I had to buy into it. Yeah, there's there's too much of a suspension of disbelief in mm-hmm. in there. And I I think Ben Solo had to be redeemed. I mean, I, I think you go against the very tenets of Star Wars if you end it with uh, you know, the son of or grandson of Darth Vader just being on the dark side and that's my biggest issue with the Duel of the Fates script is that that lack of redemption there. Because the message to me, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot because it's kind of an idea that uh, the Inquisitor book gets into, is like, why do we do the right thing? And to me, Star Wars communicates that sometimes we don't do the right thing because it's the right thing. We do the right thing because of the care and love of the the people who have shown us uh, what those actions can lead to. So you have characters like Qui-Gon who say, who says in Master and Apprentice, you know, I choose the light because it's the light, but that doesn't work for everybody. And it's not a blanket statement. You know, some people need an emotional attachment to motivate them to do things. And that's what gets Vader to, to turn is not that Luke is a Jedi and that Luke is standing up to the emperor. It's the selflessness and the love and the compassion that he shows. And so in last Jedi, in the same way, Ray is expecting Ben to do the right thing because it's the right thing. And that's not where he's at in his journey. That's not the kind of person that he is at that point. He's a much more emotionally driven person. So when she speaks to his emotion by selflessly giving her life force to save him after she acted out of rashness and anger, which is his MO, uh, he sees that new side of her. So I, I like that aspect of it because I think it's a very Star Wars theme, but um, I think that's something you and I kind of clash heads on a lot is I'm much more in the the camp of like love and compassion and empathy and stuff in Star Wars. Like that's more of my focus and your focus is, is more on um, the strengths and powers and, and, and the, you're, you, you're a little more dark side leaning than I am. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but just kind of, that's the thing that excites you a little bit more. Like, I think that's part of the reason you like the high Republic so much. And for me, I can take it or leave it is it's got all that, like, let's really delve into the dark side and what drives that aspect. And I'm much more into the, like, what drives the light side kind of aspect of things. I would agree with that to a point. Um, I think for the most part, um, when, when I, what I was looking for wasn't the fact that I wanted to see some OP, hyper-masculine um, Darksider. I just wanted to see something new. So they've already done the redemption arc with Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader. I wanted to see what happens when somebody is just not backing down so right i mean like even back then that's that was my point behind all that like i just wanted something new because it felt like a retread um when it comes to you 
you're very good at breaking down things that sometimes I see but don't know how to explain. And so when you explain it, I'm like, okay, I get this. I understand all that. Star Wars to me is um, you like to look at character morality, which I do too in different respects. I like what makes people tick, but I've always been about the the high fantasy, the force powers, the lore, the um, the galaxy spanning ramifications. I I'm just like I got the vibe of the old republic, and I really liked that kind of vibe. But I still can see um, like the decisions the heroes make. I just think you're really good at subtle things that you pick out. Like personally, I just think that's a strength of you. Because like even that. when me and Lindsay talk about things, we have completely different approaches about a lot of different things, and that's the one thing I like about not to plug our own shows, but the Clashing Sabers group in general is just there's so many opinions that aren't wrong. It's just everybody's picking out these things that they're looking into and looking forward to. And every, and everybody has their own approach to things, you know, and like right. that's. That's part of why I love that you came on board is because you and I approach the stories in such different ways, you know, like, like, I, I don't think it's wrong for you to be, you know, exploring more of the lore and, and stuff like that. And even, you know, considering more of like more characters staying a little darker and not because, you know, you want them to be, like you said, like OP hyper masculine or anything like that. But I think that that's something that they haven't explored as much in the stories is like what really makes a dark sider tick. Uh, we're getting more of that. I think it, it, with like Vader, uh, we got more of it with Kylo Ren and dude, you're going to, I think you're really going to like the inquisitor book because I think it's going to hit on some things it's kind of, for me, it's kind of a book where it's a character study that I like, but I think a lot of the uh, exploration of Jedi ideals and where they do or don't fail uh, that's explored in the book is going to be something that really clicks for you. Absolutely. And the last, like, especially after this celebration, I've noticed a change in me. Like, yeah, I'm still not going to believe all these movies are going to happen until they actually happen. Like, at this point, I can't be a sucker. But I have moved away from making that my first thought when I hear things. It's weird to say that Star Wars is in a rebuilding phase, even though they really are. But yet there's so many things to look forward to and so many things that I think th I think that this year, the beginning of this year, really started to change my perspective of Star Wars and the things that we've been getting, the content that we've been getting. I still do prefer Mandalorian season two over season three, but I don't have any I don't have any major complaints about season three. But overall I just think Star Wars is upping its game and I think there are some smart decisions going on in Lucasfilm based on just even the books um, alone, the comics themselves, while I'm not an avid comic book re reader like I used to be, I hear really good things about them right now. And I just think, I think they're, while we're in a rebuilding phase, I've never been more excited um, since, you know, maybe the end of episode seven when everybody had two years to water cooler every single theory. I think that will always be my, the most exciting time as a fan but this is starting to really ramp up to be something truly special as far as where all of these webs are going um, within their movies. You know, me and Lindsay had yeah. talked about, um, me and Lindsay had talked about like a, a rough line that like possibly some of the effects of 
the the dawn of the Jedi and the new Jedi Order might play into each other, and that might be exciting. Like learning about the first Jedi, and maybe seeing if Rey knows anything about these stories, and seeing these threads untangle, which is something the High Republic has done so perfect. Just having these threads and building on them. Uh, with everything that Lucasfilm is announcing, it's exciting to see these threads. We're getting story threads for Mandalorian that trickle down into, you know, Ahsoka being a thing. We we see Ahsoka start. Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? And now we have this show. These small little tiny threads. It's starting to be um, not like the MCU, but they're starting to take a tiny page from them, which is building upon threads and creating a universe because it can't be the same as the MCU, but there are a couple notes they can take and they have been taking them in a subtle way that I appreciate. There's definitely a lot more intentionality behind the storytelling than there was in the first few years. Like if you, I'm rewatching rebels as we're getting ready for Ahsoka and, and we're going through each season over on the main show and it's just really interesting to me when you think about Rebels happening at the same time as the sequel trilogy and how unified and intentional of a story Rebels is versus the haphazard nature of the sequel trilogy and even the books coming out at that time. It was like, mm-hmm. here's a Leia book. Here's a, a you know, Aftermath. Here's you know, Phasma's. Even Lost Stars is legend. There, there's, there's amazing books. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but it was very just haphazard. Of yeah, we're gonna make this book and we're gonna make that book, and it's definitely changed now. But I gotta ask you, dude, because we got into it a little bit on on Classic Sabers. Thoughts on the Ahsoka trailer? Okay, so thoughts on the uh, Ahsoka trailer. I thought that this was one of the worst trailers. No, I'm, I'm just. I'm oh my god! I'm absolutely kidding. Um, oh, we were about to throw down. So here's here's the thing. I think that potentially um, this might be the best trailer of Star Wars uh, that I have seen since. Um, since the Revenge of the Sith trailer when I was a kid. I really wow. do believe... No, because while I did love the Episode 7 trailers, for sure, really I only liked one thing, which you can guess, was the Kylo Ren revealing the cross guard and the mysteriousness of him. That was really the big pull for me. Like, And, and looking at Rey's staff and thinking it was like potentially Darth Plagueis. But this one, this felt so cinematic much much more cinematic than the mandalorian trailers feel it looks if they keep up with this and this isn't just uh extra cgi for the trailer this looks way more cinematic than even the mandalorian it has a lot of stakes there's so many elements there's emotional elements you you can understand the characters where they're at without knowing rebels but the fact that you do adds so much more weight to it the casting seems to be on point. And like I said, there's just so many different angles to this story that you kind of know what is going on to tease this show, but you know you know nothing of what's going on. It shows perfect, um, perfect things of where we are in the present and then where we are also in the past. I absolutely love the fact that they made that um, mural from Rebels in this show just showing the past 
in the current future. This sh- this trailer has so much questions, so much mystery. It gave a little bit of reveals for us. Like I, I don't know. I just I you pick a point and we'll go there. But like I I was honestly stunned by this trailer. I mean, for me, everything works. Like. And uh, I, I obviously am going to be biased towards Ahsoka. This is my most anticipated uh, show probably since Rebels. Uh, probably my most anticipated Star Wars thing since Rebels. Uh, because I was just so hyped for that. Because it was like the fir- that and A New Dawn were the first things to come out when I got back into Star Wars. So I was crazy excited for those. And... So to get the, that continuation of that story is really huge. And I like the way that they've progressed the trailers, you know, like the, the trailer at Celebration that we got to see was, it was short, it was very limited because they hadn't filmed a whole bunch yet, but it was very much just giving you the feel of like, yes, we're getting this story, it's going to be a little Ahsoka, a little Rebels, you're going to like it. Then you get the the teaser, and it's very much just focused on Ahsoka. And we don't get a lot of the other characters. We get a few hints of them. But this one really did a good job of focusing on these relationships that we're going to get and these plot points I think we're going to get. And it didn't... It didn't try to play this mystery game that, that a lot of trailers try to, to play. Like... It, it, there's a lot of mystery to it. I think we're going to get a lot of unexpected things in here, and I, there were even un, unexpected things in the trailer. But it, I feel like they were pretty genuine, and I could be eating my words in a couple weeks here, but I feel like they were pretty genuine with here's the story that we're going to get. You know, We're going to get Hera struggling with the New Republic and their inability to see this future threat. We're going to get... A whole bunch of character uh, relationship stories with Sabine and Ahsoka. And I love that they, this is the thing that that stood out to me the most. I love that they took that relationship for a complete turn. Um, Like, I expected going into Ahsoka, you know, that the scene at the end of Rebels was going to be kind of where we pick up the story with the two of them. But the way that they've structured it, it looks like that's actually like a reuniting after they had already spent some time together because she talks about her, you know, being her master and stuff uh, and the that she never took it easy on her. So there's some relationship there that we're going to get more of that I was expecting to, you know, just kind of be a given and we would fill in the blanks later with it. But I think we're going to get a lot of character study there. And it's exciting to get more of these Rebels characters. Um, it's exciting, you know, to hear Rosario Dawson basically call this Rebels Season 5, even though I'm sure she kind of got a slap on the wrist for that uh, when she went back to Lucasfilm. But uh, just to to continue this story, to fill in these blanks that we have, but to meet these characters at a new time in their life and, and see them explore new struggles, like... That's been one of the things I've really loved about being able to get all of these different Star Wars stories is we get to see these characters at so many different points in their life. And so it's no longer like you you like Luke, but mostly you just like, you know, that five-year period of the original trilogy because that's all you really know about him. You can like old Luke. You can like young Luke. You can, you know, like there's so many different versions of him now. You can like the Luke who's struggling to be a Jedi, you can like the Luke who was overconfident in his own Jedi abilities. Like, there's different versions of these characters you get to experience, 
And I think that's what I'm most excited about here is getting to explore these different aspects of these characters. And, and I think picking this story up, and this is something that the trailer really communicated to me, is that picking these stories up after having the four years of Rebels, it, we're going to be in a lot more of a, a complex relationship right from the get-go than we were in like a Mandalorian, where you have to develop all these characters and stuff. I think we're going to, this is going to be very much a jump right into it and get going kind of story. And in a very Star Wars way, they'll go back and fill things in as they go. And I think we're going to end each episode uh, with more questions than we have answers, um, but in in a good way. Uh, I think that this is going to be, as much as Filoni's movie is going to be kind of his step into, I think, the, the awareness of the, the larger public and what he can do. But I think this is going to be kind of his coup d'etat. This is going to be... Uh, the thing he looks back on at the end of his career and says, this is the best thing that I've done. Well, this is, I hope it's not the best thing he's done. Even if it is the best thing, I hope he has plenty of more uh, best things. But make no mistake, this show has to be, like at least in the eyes of Lucasfilm, this show has to be truly something special. Because if they don't believe that this show is flawless, he would have never gotten greenlit for that film. So this speaks confidence alone in their, at least Lucasfilm's confidence in this show because of the fact that that film got greenlit. Because guess what? At the end of the day, I'm not saying Lucasfilm is doing that now. I think they're, they're obviously changing their ways, but Lucasfilm has had a track record of, you know, Claudia Gray writes epic uh, Star Wars stories. Well, those are the book people. You know, we're not going to, the book people write the books and they do this, that, and whatever. You know, they, uh, that, this Dave Filoni guy, he's an encyclopedia. He's, you know, he really changed perspective for the prequels and really actually even brought some people on board who hated them. Um, you know, with even Hayden Christensen saying that, that story arcs really helped him figure out this character, um, when it comes to returning. Um, and it's like, okay, well, he's the animated guy. So we're going to get J.J. Abrams in here and do this, that, whatever. Um, and now it seems that they're more open to, like, let's listen to it. And had this not been a knock in the park, knock out of the park, I don't think you're getting that greenlit movie. So I have a little bit more faith in this project alone simply for the the business side of that. That shows me something. No, that makes a ton of sense. Because I mean, you're not hearing about Deborah Chow aspect. directing Star Wars after Obi-Wan right now. And you were, all that's all yeah. you were hearing about. Well, and I think that they kind of have a bit of a farm system kind of situation going on where, you know, we had, uh, you know, people like Claudia Gray and Kevin Scott. Okay, cool. They had successful standalone books. Now let's give them this whole big project. Um, Mm -hmm. And even, you know, uh, Daniel Jose Older, like Justina Ireland, all of them. uh, And then you you get, you know, they bring in new character or excuse me, new authors uh, like Tessa Groton, and they give them a story in, uh, you know, uh, the Empire Strikes Back certain point of view as a testing ground of, you know, and, and so then they bring them into the High Republic and then that could lead to more things and more things. And, you know, I wouldn't I would not be shocked if, you know, five or 10 years from now we're getting a a Star Wars High Republic movie written by Claudia Gray and Kevin Scott because, they took Filoni, okay, he's the animated guy, well, let's see what happens when we put him in live action, but we're going to give him, 
We're going to pair him with John Favreau so he can kind of learn how to do things. Okay, cool. He can do that on his own. He can he can do some episodes on his own. Let's see if he can train other people. Okay, cool. He can train other people. Let's see if he can do this on his own. Oh, he can do it on his own. All right, cool. Let's give him a movie. Right. And I, I'm seeing more patterns of that. Of We're going to give him a little bit of a testing ground, see how they hit, not just in terms of does the story hit for, for people, but are they somebody who is is dedicated to this galaxy are they somebody who understands these stories and are they somebody who's easy to work with you know like i I mentioned daniel jose older i've liked one of his books uh but i also really am happy that he's in star wars because it pushes the boundaries and to me that says that they're willing to take risks on people who are dedicated to the story and easy to work with you know which i think he I, I mean, I've gotten zero impression he's anything other than a, a complete class act as a human being and easy to work with. And it's the same with Filoni, you know, like it's a building of that trust. And that to me, if they're going to invest that much time in people, like to me, there's no no way they announce a Filoni movie and it doesn't come out. Yeah. Like there is no there's no universe where that happens. And uh, but I also think there's no universe where they give Filoni a full on feature film just because they like the guy like he's got to prove that he can make money like that's the bottom line of the bottom line is he's got to make money. And I'll be interested to see how much the Ahsoka show actually gets viewed right from the get, because I kind of have a theory that uh, people are going to go back and watch the Ahsoka show after watching Mando season four and maybe even five and then maybe even like as they're getting ready for the movie and that it'll kind of have it'll have a first life with the the diehards like like us here and the people listening but I think it's going to get a second life kind of like Clone Wars did where people go oh man I've got this story and I like this character there oh I can learn more about them over here okay cool yeah I can I can dedicate myself to that and you're going to see I think you know five years from now or whenever we get this Filoni movie, people all of a sudden start talking about Ahsoka again and going, man, I didn't realize they had all this set up here. And I really love, you know, that they gave me this story with this character, you know, in, in, in episode, whatever of Ahsoka. Uh, I think that's kind of going to be something that we see a few years down the road from now, because like I said, they, they obviously believe in this story and I, and they're not holding back in, in, putting what this story is going to be at the forefront. A lot of Star Wars trailers have misled us and misdirected us and even shown us scenes that were not even created for the movie, looking at you, Rogue One. And now we're getting Ahsoka, and they basically kind of, save for actually saying, like, we're going to find Ezra. They gave us the story. Right. Like, they gave us the story. Thrawn's coming. We have to prepare. We're reuniting the, the Rebels team. You know, Ahsoka is going to have to face her past. Like other than giving us actual like fighting between a lot of these entities and the probable Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, you know, reunion we'll have with Ahsoka. We got like all the main beats that we've been expecting in the story. And they didn't try to misdirect us and get us to think, oh, no, what you guys have been talking about for years is not actually what this is going to be. No, this is the story we're giving you. 
and we don't need to misdirect you. We don't need to show you other things. We don't need to, you know, do sleight of hand here because this story is going to be so good. We understand the pressure of putting Thrawn into a live action show and we're going to make it and it's going to be good. We understand the loyal following that Rebels has and the danger of bringing these characters who are, you know, it's it's not like bringing a stormtrooper, bringing Darth Vader, you know, to animation. You're bringing these human live action, you know, an, excuse me, animated characters to live action. They're not pulling punches with Ahsoka. And I think that says a lot, uh, you know, and, and that's kind of really what I got from the trailer was we're not pulling punches here. We are giving you what we're going to give you and we're going to execute on it. And to build on that, I think, you know, a lot of good stories, like we, 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 we know the outline of this of this story based on this trailer something that we don't always get from lucasfilm um but what i think the show is going to double down on is okay you kind of know the story of where it's leading but none of the context and the context and how these things happen based on how they happen is key if you look at lord of the rings lord of the rings a guy takes a ring to a mountain and then he's got to destroy it and his friends got to help him destroy it that's the Lord of the Rings, but it's so beautiful, amazing, perfect, and magical because of the context of the story. And that's what I'm seeing in this trailer. Not just, you know, I pointed out the cinematic versions of these things, the fact that there are, you know, lightsabers everywhere. There's plenty of different space battles. That stuff's all great. But what I'm really getting from this show is that this is a show about character perspective. Look at what you have. You have Hera dealing with her own shit. Sabine dealing with her own shit. Ahsoka dealing with her own shit. And then you have these uh, an, an Inquisitor who is all dark side. But now you also have these other dark Jedi who aren't completely dark side. What's their context? What is their emotional yeah. context to all of it? It's it's literally just a story. I mean, what I'm getting based on the trailer, I'm not making predictions, but what I'm getting is a story about perspective, a universe uh, their universe perspective, their eyes on the universe. What they've seen, what they've felt, what they're dealing with has a effect on who they currently are. And, and, and you can look at it from a Jedi perspective, but really it's just a character perspective. These these ways of of good versus bad versus, you know, um, evil. You know, what is, what is the mix of all of these characters? Why are these people more dark Jedi than these Inquisitors? How does that play out? What, what are, why? You know, why do people feel the way they feel? Why do we feel the way we feel? <laughs> Yeah, right. Like, I mean, and, like, and there's, it's, it's a unique time period in the galaxy because you're coming off of essentially two decades of war, you know, and how do different people deal with the, the trauma of that? And we're going to get a lot of those different perspectives. You know, you're going to have Hera, who is a literal child of war, you know, all she's known as war. Whereas, you know, Sabine saw the end of a war and, in, you know, knows in a, in a way how to live outside of it, but is also part of this warrior culture. Then you've got Ahsoka, who was raised a, you know, child warrior and walked away from that, but still believes in these particular causes if she doesn't believe in a, a bigger order and, you know, or, or anything like that. So you're going to get all of these different 
I like the way you put it, these different perspectives. And I think also a lot of different reactions to the trauma of living in two decades of war, which to me, you know, being uh, us being the generation that, you know, grew up with the, the war on terror and we've come out of that, you know, again, two decades of war and people profiting off of it and everything like that. And all right, cool. Where does that leave us now? Like, what do we do when that no longer is a thing? What do we do when, when there's no longer a singular point that we can all rally against? What do we do? And maybe Thrawn is that thing that they are able to rally against, or maybe it is something that divides them more because so, you know, I, I get the impression that a lot of the new Republic is going to be in denial that a threat like that could rise again. Like we handled Thrawn, he's done. And, uh, you know, so it, it's kind of the same thing we face in the modern era is like, Oh, well, you know, we fought this war, you know, like we, we finished it. Terrorism is done. Like it's no longer a threat. And that's a very short sighted way to approach things. Like the threats are always continual it's a matter of how do you choose to handle them. And and something DeVore mentioned from Rebel Season 2 that came up a lot is how do we choose to, to fight? And I think that's going to be a big question that these different characters who have different experiences with war are going to have to face. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think it's beautiful that you touched on you know, some of our characters were little enough to know what happened to the Republic when the empire came over, some of them have lived through it. Some of them have been uh, way outside the boundaries trying to deal with their own way. I mean, you can look at Cassian, you know, grew up in a family of separatists. And so, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where, you know, I look at it to like 9-11. If you didn't know, if you weren't like young enough, or if you weren't old enough to like truly understand what happened, during 9-11 it like you know what happened but you don't know that day like me i'll never forget the day of 9-11 you know Lindsay's family being so close to that she probably has a completely different perspective on how that felt than i did i was looking from indiana you know but everybody felt that that day if you were cognitive enough in age to know that kids now are just like they know what happened in 9-11 but they did not experience that and all these Ooh, perspectives that's... kind of build based on where you were at, if you were even alive during it, and what happened. I mean, it's, it's crazy. A lot of kids don't even know what 9-11 is. Like, they don't know what actually happened on that day. I think, if, if we're making that comparison, I think Order 66 is the, the 9-11 of the Star Wars galaxy. For sure. And it's that fulcrum point where the people who experienced it can never unsee it. And the people who didn't experience it either don't know what happened, have heard of it and don't care, or they just have this very filtered story. You know, the, the people mm -hmm. in the galaxy have this filtered story of what 9-11 was, or excuse me, what Order 66 was, right. of, you know, the Jedi betrayal and stuff. But that was, and, and this is why we always, you know, go back to that point. That was the fulcrum point in the galaxy. And, and that was the fulcrum point for our generation, very much in the way that, you know, Pearl Harbor was to lead us into World War Two. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we, we have these, these events that happen that change everything going forward. And 
while our stories, you know, they, they come uniquely from our brains and, you know, these people are not necessarily looking at, oh yeah, like let's make a 9-11 story by, you know, starting from Order 66. I don't think they're sitting there saying that, but when you, you grow up in the culture and your culture affects things going forward. And so we, you know, we, we built an empire, you know, in America based on war and that's been what the past two decades have been about. And there are a lot of people who are struggling with what happens when that's over. And so I'm excited to see these characters and such a diverse group of characters. Like you said, like even within the dark side, we're getting multi levels of the dark side. Like we're getting these dark Jedi, which I really hope they call them dark Jedi. That would just be so fun. Uh, but you've got these dark Jedi, you've got these inquisitors, you even got Morgan Elsbeth, who's just, you know, somehow dedicated to Thrawn. You have Thrawn, who we know doesn't really care about the Force, but will use Force beings to his own ends. You've got all of these different levels of of evil, but you're also going to have all these different levels of good. And we're going to see them, I think, all get to kind of deal with their trauma and, and maybe how they mishandled their trauma immediately following the events of the Galactic Civil War. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's what I love. Um, that's, that's really kind of the best TV is character perspective. Um, and, and if they excel, excel with that, you know, uh, one of the things, and I, and again, I'm not trying to go down a rabbit hole of, you know, different shows, different things, but, there were some things to me in, in, in the past Star Wars stuff that they just wanted you to, to buy into. Like, they said a couple things, but it never really felt real. And that's why people like Andor a lot, because Andor really gave you the context of why people feel the way they feel. And I think as long as Ahsoka does that, it's going to be an amazing show, because you're good at pulling out these things, like I talked about earlier, but I do buy into, I just want a character that I understand why they're doing it. What is their fight? What is their struggle? A real hero's journey is a hero's journey that is about sacrifice and, and understanding their worldview. And I just want to understand our character's worldview before we go into um, everything. And I, I want to understand why people tick. I watched a simple show um it's it's called heels and it's like about uh this small wrestling family okay i've never watched wrestling in my entire life don't care about it but i like Stephen amell he was arrow so i checked it out and it was a beautiful show where you understood in the story of the show why every character showed up to that wrestling ring every day and why this little tiny town wrestling thing matters. And it was it's honestly one of the best shows I've seen in the last couple of years. And it was only because the character's perspective. And that's all I want. And that's, I mean, that is when Star Wars is at its best, is when it has multiple levels. Like, you should... In my opinion, you should be able to watch Star Wars just as an action adventure. You should be able to watch it just as a fantasy. You should be able to watch it just as a character study. You should be able to just watch it just as a commentary on good versus evil. You should be able to watch it just as a political commentary on the time period when it was created. You should be able to watch it individually as all of that, and you should be able to watch it as all of those things. Yeah. That, to me, is the best Star Wars. And I love Andor, but you can't casually put on Andor. It's not a relaxing show, right. action adventure show to watch. So while it is great, 
I don't see it personally for me. Mark would definitely disagree with me, but as peak Star Wars, because it doesn't have all of those, you can watch it on different levels element. I that's agree with make, you on that, by the way. That's and 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 let me be clear, like I think that to certain extents, Obi-Wan and Book of Boba Fett and you know, missed some of those things too. But the best of Star Wars, the Rebels, the Mandalorian, the original trilogy, in my opinion, The Last Jedi, uh, Revenge of the Sith, like all of these high points in the saga, I mean, Empire Strikes Back is probably the best example of this. You can watch it on so many different levels. And it, it, so it allows it to continue on giving and giving and giving. And I think that's what we're going to get out of Ahsoka. I think we're going to go back, you know, years from now and go, wow, we missed point A, you know, because we were looking at point B. You know, we're going to continually discover things about this show uh, because <laughs> we know Filoni's not going to give us the answers. Uh, that's not his style. He's going to give us a whole bunch of questions and then go, I don't know. What do you think? Right. Um, shoot. What, what was my, oh, uh, to go off before we, and I, I do have a couple touching points before we go, um, to go off what you were saying about Lord, it left me. It just left me. Um, we were talking, oh, about the appeal of the show and how you believe the hardcore fans are going to show up and it'll trickle down more, t- uh, you know, trickle down in viewership as time goes on. We're going to get more. Uh, Andor was the same way. Andor didn't come out with like these crazy record breaking numbers, but it kept this consistent traction because every week people kept wanting, okay, I've heard about this show. Oh, is it good? And they kept tuning in. And Disney mm-hmm. Plus has a way better uh, track record for these steady st- uh, steady streams of viewership than even Netflix does. Netflix tends to have a huge boom and then it's out. And I think the weekly uh, release does help with that. But also, um, Disney, I mean, like WandaVision, uh, it was the first MCU show, so it started off pretty big, but it kept compiling. If it was a good show, it kept building, much like The Mandalorian did, much like Season 2 did. Disney has a really good track record, so if these shows truly are good, they will gain traction with time, because Disney Plus really has proven that. My, sorry. No, I was going to say that that definitely, that tracks, because, you know, we... We still, you know, I'll still see people talking about WandaVision, whereas, you know, Secret Invasion is is currently on, and I don't see a ton of people talking about it, you know, and it's kind of, I say that because in my opinion, WandaVision is a pinnacle of television. It's a great series, Loki, a great series. Mm -hmm. Secret Invasion, meh. I'm I'm not caught up yet. Like I, I watched last week. I watched the four episodes that had come out, but like even now, like I'm gonna watch it when it comes out, just because I'm still on summer. But once I go back to school, if it's not done, like I'll catch up when I catch up. And that's not right. You know, not everything's going to be a home run. But my point there is, the things that are good are gonna get views. Period. End of story. Especially with Disney Plus. Like Netflix yeah. throws out a lot of things that are truly good that people don't get traction. Disney Plus, if it's good, it will gain traction on their site. It, yeah, a hundred percent. And so I think you know, Bob Iger came out recently and said uh, that you know We're they're going to kind of 
you limit things. And I think that's fine. I think making stuff special is fine. I know they lost, you know, like a butt ton of describe of subscribers, uh, in India in particular, I think they lost like a hundred million subscribers or some insane number like that. Um, because they lost cricket or something over uh, I think, there. I think it's a star app that they use. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, something associated with, with, Disney Plus uh, in India caused them to lose a lot of, of viewers, um, but I, I I don't mind the you know the specialty of certain events. You know um, I don't think we need to be having stuff out all the time. No, but, and it's uh, clearly showing with Marvel. Um, the last yeah. I mean post Endgame, that's really becoming apparent. You know, like when I went to Colorado we did whitewater rafting and you have the choice do a half a day or full day. And I said, let's do a half a day because I'd rather leave wanting a little bit more than stick around wanting it to be less. And that's how I I agree. That's how I want star Wars and all of it. I want that feeling of wanting more, not I've had enough. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, I wonder how much the, the writers and actor strikes is going to, have an effect on that because the studios are being so bullheaded about we're not going to, you know, give into their demands, which is just fucking ridiculous. Um, these writers and actors should be paid what they're worth and they should be paid, you know, for what they're in, not paid one time and their likeness can get used for perpetuity. That's oh, did asinine. You, yeah, I read this story about uh, the guy who was Zordon uh, from the Power Rangers Mm-hmm. He got paid 150 bucks, showed up the first day of the Power Rangers, did hours and hours of different facial things, and that was all he got, and Zordon was in every episode of the Power Rangers. So that shows you how residuals can work. And we're not talking about the actors that are making millions and millions of dollars. There are literally hundreds of thousands of actors that are on TV and are still working second jobs to make their mm-hmm. day and day. Like there are famous oh, actors that are not making their money. So we're not talking about the uh, 1% who have made full blockbuster living careers. We're not talking about, I mean, like you look at The Bear, one of the best written shows. The guy couldn't even afford the apartment when he was writing that show. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, yeah, it's, there's so it's many ridiculous. So one last question before we get out of here. Um, I have like a weird thing that I'm not like, I'm not like expecting it, but I'm just thinking like the, the inquisitor that has not been revealed in the Ahsoka trailer, is that inquisitor in that book? Um, the masked inquisitor that shows up in the trailers. Not, not that I can prove right now. Okay. I have a weird theory. I have a theory. I talked about it over on our Rebel Season 2 episode. I think it's the eighth brother. And the eighth brother does get mentioned in the book. But I can say with certainty, it's not a main character in the book. Okay. So, um, I have this weird thing that I I think potentially the actor in that suit is Sam Witwer. That's, That's... that's just my little random like hot take. There's no no proof of evidence. There's nothing like only- Sam Witwer, and we're gonna see his face, or just Sam Witwer did the the acting. Sam Witwer in the suit, maybe the face, but just Sam Witwer because he um, he was on the Michael Rosenbaum podcast, 
And he made a point to really talk about Lucasfilm. And he said, look, the one thing about Lucasfilm is Lucasfilm always takes care of their own. When I do, like, Lucasfilm will ask me for a favor of something, they always return it versus other studios. And when he was subtly asked if he was doing another Star Wars project, he kind of was like, yeah, something's brewing. And that was it. And I just, with being, with Dave Filoni being Dave Filoni, always like to throw that I could just see Dave Filoni putting him in that live action suit to do it because Sam Witwer has been such a dedicated member and a foundational men- member to Dave Filoni himself and let's face it the guy's like 40 something years old and he's still in like impeccable like flawless shape he's like in yeah. superhero shape all the time yeah. that, that's just uh, a random thing that I have I'd be cool with it I mean I'd be cool with it period I would I would prefer if it's going to happen, it be keeping the mask on. I don't really have any desire to see the Inquisitor take his mask off um, or her mask off. We don't really know right what you know what the gender is, but um, I I kind of still am holding out for Sam Witwer to get a a big role of his own. You know where he can we can see his face and he, even if it's you know playing an Imperial in the Mandalorian or you know, a, a Jedi in the Acolyte or anything like that. Like, I, I want to see him on screen. He's, I don't Me know uh, if, if a lot of people have seen him do other things, but he was in, uh, I think it was the Flash uh, series, if I remember correctly. One of those um, CW he series. He was in Supergirl, and then he's actually in Smallville. I know that. Smallville okay. season seven. So Supergirl, he outacted everybody in that series like it was right. not even fair i think i tuned uh, how good out after was. him yeah like it, it, it he was so good he's such a good on-screen actor and so many people in star wars only know him as a voice actor and so it, i personally want to see him get get you know his his turn in the limelight because he has been such a faithful member of the team but i guess we will have to wait and see so with that out of the way, guys, that'll do it for this show of Sith Talk. Um, you can find me at Sith Talker 25 talking all things um, Spartan Race, barbecue, a little bit of comic books, a little bit of Star Wars. I've been having fun with all of it lately. But most importantly, Brandon, tell us where we can find you, but also tell us what we do here at Clashing Sabers. Yeah, so you can find us on all of uh, the socials at Clashing Sabers. Uh, we're over on Threads now, Twitter, Facebook. We have a Facebook group, um, and biggest thing is our nonprofit where we put Star Wars books into classrooms across the country. Because, as you could probably tell through this conversation, Star Wars books are an important part of my life. Zach, I know they're an important part of of your life as well, and we kind of want to pass that on to the next generation. So, with the school year uh, starting back up, if you want to support that mission, you can go to our Patreon and donate there. We're 100 of the pro proceeds or not even proceeds 100% of the money you send in goes to buying and shipping the books exclusively to teachers across the country uh, we are even you know trying to do what we can to support uh, in states where you know, these insane book bans are happening and stuff we've, we've got a teacher in Florida uh, who's starting her first year teaching sixth grade that I'm going to be sending books to later this week uh, that is going to get loaded up with a whole bunch of Star Wars books so if you know a teacher 
uh, please don't hesitate. They're, the only qualification is that they are a teacher. They can like Star Wars. They could not care about Star Wars. But getting books into the hands of kids is a huge, huge thing. So many teachers, most teachers, have to spend their own money on books. Uh, and, and a lot of them who are not literacy teachers end up not having libraries in their classrooms. And so you have kids who you know have time to read who don't get that opportunity. So we are pushing that. Um, so go over to ClashingSavers.net, nominate a teacher, and we will send them a whole ton of books. Um, that's been something that's really exciting is we've gotten such great support lately and such good funding um, from our great supporters that we have been able to go from you know these small boxes of, of 20 to 30 books to sometimes sending 50 and 60 books to these classrooms. And with that being said, guys, happy 20th anniversary to the Knights of the Old Republic, the greatest game of all time, and also may the force be with you. Always. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?